Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing Meet the Meerkats, so I'll ask about Shangalolos, monitor lizards, and yeah, meerkats. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh, and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. My first guest, what can I say? She's an actress, comic, writer, host, singer-songwriter you might know as Melrose on the hit Netflix series Glow, and she co-created the new animated preschool musical series Do-Re-Mi. It's our old pal Jackie Tone. Well, hello everybody. Jackie, you're back. Should I go? <laughs> I should go. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, this is awkward and strange now. I hate this. I, <laughs> I hated it before we started. Poor Tim, because it's never fun when someone's in a room with us, too, because it's just such spitfire bits. Tim, we're going to learn so much from you. We can't wait. Wait, I inter I introed Tim before you intro Tim. I blew it. It's okay. No, it's cool. It's like a cool tease. Now everybody's like, who's Tim? Who's Tim? You're about to find out. And uh, and Tim, yeah, I'll apologize as well. I mean, Jackie and I have known each other for years, so we tend to become the ultra idiot versions of ourselves when we're around each other. So, you know, if that happens, uh, forgive us. Let's get him in here. He's our second guest. He's the director of research and formerly Prince Philip Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Cambridge. Welcome to the show, Professor Tim Clutton Brock. Hello, nice to be here. Nice to see you, Tim. From a uh, we we established that you're across the continent. Is that what we were calling it? Yes, because he's, I think that's about it. He said he was across the pond and the continent, and we said, Ah, yes, the continent. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for joining us from across the world. And what time is it over there, by the way? Uh, quarter past seven. In the in morning. The evening. Oh, in the evening. In the evening. Yeah. Oh, because it looked like you have sunlight over there. I'm just having a drink after supper. Oh, oh hell fantastic. Yeah. What are you drinking? Good sir. Good gentleman. Californian red wine. Oh, oh my oh, lord. Paying tribute to us. We got that. Yeah, we got that stuff right up the road, Timmy. Right up the road. <laughs> <laughs> we have it on tap here on the sidewalks. I wish. It's fantastic over here. California wine is just spewing out of every water fountain. Apart from the parts that are burning. Oh, wow. Burn, bro. Aside from the fact that your entire state is on fire and also falling into the ocean, you've pretty good wine and weed. Yeah, he's putting us in his in our place today. Tim's coming out stinging uh, left and right, biting us like a meerkat. And before we get into these animals and this awesome show, I watched a video, and I don't even know if I understood it correctly because, spoiler alert, I'm a schmuck. But I think that you were saying that based on our anatomy, that humans used to be polygamous. Is that correct? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, truly, truly monogamous mammals where pairs... Um, pair for life, the males are almost always the same size as the females. And extremely polygynous animals, like elephant seals, the males are much larger than the females. So we are, males are slightly larger, about 5% larger than, um, than females, not all that much, 5% heavier than, than females. And that suggests there's a mild degree of polygyny. I feel like men are so much more than 5% bigger than women. Guess not. 
Well, it all depends. I mean, it depends whether you're talking linear measures or whether you're talking weight. Mm. And if you're talking weight, it obviously depends how fit people are. I was going to say, if you're talking weight in the United States. But, you know, males are, males are larger. I don't want to put a figure on it. Males are larger than, than females, whereas in monogamous, in truly monogamous mammals, it's usually the case that um, either the sexes are identical in size or, or females are slightly larger than males. Well, it begs the question, how many girlfriends or wives do you currently have? I have one at the yeah. moment, um, and I've had one throughout my career, so I, I guess I'm barking the trade. Hmm. But I am about twice her body weight, so I've suggested <laughs> to her that I'm entitled to several, but she's never agreed that. <laughs> wow, that's so kind of you to wait for her approval. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, that's being a gentleman. That's being a gentleman. That's right. Cheers. I wish I had some California wine to cheers to you right now, but I don't. I'll, I'll wait another 12 hours. Okay. I was going to say, at 11 a.m., just cheersing all the California wine you could find. I wanted to also bring up, speaking of wildlife, uh, Jackie, if I'm not mistaken, we've seen some wildlife in your backyard visiting now and then. Is that correct? We absolutely have. I can. Oh, I don't want to bring pick up my computer because I have so much stuff sure, set up. Sure. But there are a family of deer. I mean, I've never seen a meerkat. But funny enough, Tim, maybe this isn't funny. Very risky starting a sentence with funny enough. I've found. Um, I call my dog a meerkat because he always stands on his back legs with his little stupid hands up, and I've always called him a meerkat. And I really knew nothing about them, and now. I am now I know so much I can teach you, Fantastic. which is wild. I saw 40 minutes of video and now I'm a scholar. It's crazy. <laughs> One of the interesting things people always ask, why are they called meerkats? Because they come from a desert region where there's very little surface water. There's nothing like a mere or, or a lake or anything like that. This is a this is an in, in, uh, this is a arid environment. One explanation of that is that the first settlers in, in the Cape saw this animal, which looked partly like a cat and partly like a dog, and they weren't quite sure which it was, which was which. So in Dutch, um, the phrase is apparently meerkatershund, more cat than dog. So they are more <laughs> cats, and they were exactly right. They are actually closer to cats than dogs, but not a great deal. I just love that the Dutch people were like, yeah, this is more cats, let's go with more cat. We don't know what it is, but... It's more cat. I think, you know, as non-scholars um, and just not bright people, me and Ethan, I think it, like, we always think like, okay, this must have come from, what's the etymology? Where does it, what's the, like, where did this come from? And then you're, you just hear like, oh, just a guy thought it looked more like a cat <laughs> yeah. one time. And then <laughs> and everyone else in the world followed forever. him. Or her. Or her, of course. Thank you, Tim. For correcting me on my own misogyny, I'm not very good at taking down the patriarchy because I do that shit all the time by accident. When someone says they went to the doctor, I go, what's his name? <laughs> Honestly, Jackie, I'm once again offended, and this is the second strike. If you do anything like this again, I really am kicking you off. Okay. And, and I'm not trying to start drama. Okay. I'm not trying to just like make an exciting podcast, okay. you know? But at some point, yeah. there will be a third strike, and I will kick you off the show. That feels right. I'm really, really going to watch my tongue. <laughs> so I wanted to bring up the deer in your backyard because I think, Tim, you that's one of the things that you specialized in, right? Yeah, you, you've spent right. like a, a, enormous amounts of time 
looking at deer. Yeah. I mean, I basically spent the first half of my working life looking at the evolution of sex differences and the evolution of polygyny and the evolution of systems where one male defends masses of, of different females. Then I thought I'd have a break. Uh, and uh, in about 30 years ago, I decided I'd have a shift uh, and I'd look at the other animals, where uh, another group of animals, which actually live in cooperative societies, where typically one matriarch rules the roost, um, breeding with one or sometimes with more males, uh, and all the other members of the group help to raise her young. And that's an extraordinary uh, pattern of, of breeding system. It's one that uh, it's one that puzzled Darwin originally when he described it in ants and, and, and bees, where one queen does most of the breeding and everyone else raises them. The problem, of course, is why, is why has evolution led to a situation where individuals spend a large proportion and sometimes all their lives helping other people to breed rather than breeding themselves? You'd think that was very bad for their fitness. You'd think that any genes that coded for that kind of behavior would quickly be, have been eliminated by the evolutionary process. Yet we have these species, social insects, ants, wasps and bees and so on, where one queen does almost all the breeding, commonly mating with one male and holding his sperm for the rest of her life and infertilizing her females from those. Yes, uh, that's exactly what I said, for the rest of her life, so that her children are all closely related to each other. Uh, and the, there are only a small number of mammals that live in in societies like this, where there's one breeding female and, uh, and everyone else does all the work and, and, and raises the babies. And the particular the two groups um, that do this are the mole rats, which are small subterranean rodents. Some of them you may know. The naked mole rat is the, is the best known, which looks like a rather cheap, um, low-grade, skinless sausage with teeth sticking out of one end. <laughs> they live in large mm, colonies underground in the Horn of Africa. Uh, and then there, are, uh, both, then there are the mongooses, which are much more active. They're not rodents. Things like meerkats and, and the other mongooses are actually small carnivores. They're more closely related to dogs and cats than they are to, to rodents. Uh, and uh, some of those have breeding systems of, of the same kind where they live in groups of up to 50 in some cases, uh, and one dominant female and one dominant male who does most of the breeding, and then a whole pile of related individuals of both sexes who help to rear the young. The females commonly lactate to them. The males and females both babysit for uh, 12 hours at a time, so they don't feed for 24 hours while they're babysitting. And then for the first three months of life when the pups are, are born, the individuals give away somewhere around 30%, 40% of all the food they find, and they give it to pups. So these are very unusual systems, and these cooperative breeding systems are commonly associated with deserts where life is hard and it's difficult for multiple individuals to breed. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Wow, I like this, like, one dominant female thing I'm hearing about that, like, speaks to me for my heart and maybe for my life. Um, I don't know if it would work in my current ecosystem, but 
I want it to. I was actually so shocked when I was watching this. The well, wait, are we going into Let's Meet the Meerkats or not? Yet? It. Meet the Meerkats. It's on Discovery Plus. If you have not seen it, I'd highly recommend it. We all watched episode one. Jackie Tone, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, to what, to Tim's point, and this is just the most, the dumbest point that I'm going to make is I just kept going, it's so hard. Life is so hard. Life is so, how are they alive? Their entire life is a struggle. It's either hot or freezing or someone's trying to kill them or how are their babies going to survive? Their entire lives is looking for food and nothing else. And then at one point they all hugged to sleep. And then I thought, oh, at least they are hugging. Yeah, that was a really cute moment. And I, I thought the same thing. The Kalahari Desert where this takes place looks like a barren place. It, they say it hasn't rained in six months uh, there. And so, yeah, I mean, how, how do they survive, Tim? Well, the Kalahari is not that inhospitable, actually. It's only semi-arid. So it's nothing like the Sahara or parts of the Gobi or, or something like that. So it's not too bad. There's quite a bit of vegetation. There are quite a lot of animal life. And the meerkats basically make their living by digging up um, invertebrates, uh, grubs, um, ants, beetles, um, and also small vertebrates, sometimes lizards, um, chameleons, and, and so on, from the top grade. They're particularly fond of scorpions, actually, and sun spiders. Um, and they dig wow. them up. The animals live underground, spend the day underground, commonly come out and forage at night in many cases, or in the case of grubs, live under and then eventually hatch. And the animals, the meerkats, are expert at finding them, and they dig in to find these, and they'll move, in some cases, several times their own weight of sand to get down to them, disappearing down these temporary holes in the sand, leaving out only their, their backside and their, uh, and their tail, uh, and, of course, what they're leaving out is the most edible parts for any predator um, to eat. So their problem um, is they're li living in a very open environment where they're extremely visible to predators, and, they, and yet they're having to burrow for their food. A tiger comes by and is like, oh, look at that ass, and just ruins the <laughs> exactly. whole night for exactly. a meerkat. Yeah, that's right. Which one would you prefer? Yeah, just that, mm, that, meaty, that meaty little meerkat bun. So, that, so they basically need um, to operate cooperatively. And while they're foraging, normally one individual is on guard. Commonly one individual is on guard, keeping a lookout for predators uh, and giving an alarm call when the group is, uh, when a predator arrives. Um, they have, they, while they're on guard, they let the rest of the group know they give a guarding call which says, don't worry, types, there's someone on guard. Um, I'm watching your back or your backside, and there's no problem. You can get on feeding. Uh, and then when they see a predator, they have a complex range of calls. Um, they, their calls give information on what kind of predator it is. Is it a snake? Is it a, is it a jackal? Is it a, a bird of prey? Wow. Uh, they also show... Well, they also tell whether, whether the predator's moving or whether it's static. And then there's another part of the call which reflects uh, how imminent the danger is, uh, which is graded from I've seen something and I'm not sure about it to I've seen something and there is a potential danger to run for your lives. Oh, my God. So they have a w wide variety of calls um, which give a lot of information 
And we have been able over the years to investigate this, particularly a colleague of Zurich, Marta Mansa, has investigated this by playing back calls to feeding meerkats and seeing how they respond. Whether they look up in the sky for a potential eagle that's likely to attack them or whether they look in the undergrowth for a snake. I just... (laughs) So they're highly intelligent then. I don't know about that. Well, it sounds like... I always think they're quite dumb, actually. Okay. The fact that you can give alarm calls doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you're highly intelligent. We have actually investigated that. And if, if we set them complex tasks, they're, they're much less good at finding food items that we've set up in, in complex situations mm. than, than many birds are. Wow. And I've seen them do some pretty stupid things. So my, my, my tendency is to people tend to think they must be very bright because they have rings around their eyes and, uh, and the eyes are in, on front rather than on the side. But I'm not too convinced of that. I once saw a meerkat get so shit-faced at a party, everybody sharpied stuff all over his face. They're idiots, man. <laughs> Wait, yeah. I was going to ask you a question, Tim. Um, so I, I heard in Meet the Meerkats that they especially love scorpions, and you mentioned that as well. Aren't scorpions deadly? Yeah. Some of them are deadly. Um, but meerkats have a special adaptation which reduces that. But if they've been stung, they can puff up and they can be pretty sick for 24 hours. But then they're fine. It doesn't, doesn't kill them. And they survive. But some of the uh, scorpions in the Kalahari are, um, are particularly dangerous. They're the ones with small claws and fat tails. If, if a scorpion has a thin tail and big claws, you don't need to be so worried about it. If it has a fat tail and little claws then it's likely to be relying on its tail to protect it. I will keep that in mind when I plan my next trip to the Kalahari, which I will absolutely be going to visit. Yeah, we got to come up with like a one of those rhymes about it. You know, fat tail, little claws, get yeah. out the way, Santa Claus. Yeah, that, that would be perfect. That would be a great way to remember it for like Christmas time and for other ways <laughs> where that would be useless. Either time First thing. You have... You have scorpions in California? No, I was actually, my thought when we were talking about that was to say, I've actually never seen a scorpion. And then I bit my tongue because that's the shit you say and then see a scorpion. So I was like, why don't I not? But do you have them? Are they, are they there? Are they there? Have you just not seen them or are they not there? I feel like I have seen a scorpion on a hike maybe, but I... I think they're here too. I think they're on our hikes for sure. But you got to remember, fat tail, little claws. You better get out of there, Santa Claus. I hate you. I hate me too. Oh, so annoying. I Googled it and it was like the t- top 100 LA tech companies. One's called Scorpion. Fuck out of here. While Jackie's searching or, or giving up on it, I, I wanted to ask about the, the meerkat venom defense thing because I did read this morning that they have, yeah, some sort of like the thing that you described, like they have an ability to uh, weed off venom or, or be, you know, it, they, they're not susceptible to it in the same way. Some forms of venom. So how does that manifest? What is that? It's just something in their bloodstream or what happens? Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a biochemical adaptation. And I, I can't, uh, I mean, I can't go in, I can't explain. I don't know. You signed an NDA. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, the first of many things that I don't know. I don't know the, 
the specifics of that, but they have a biochemical adaptation against some toxins, not necessarily against, um, which doesn't protect them against all forms of toxins. So snakes can kill them, um, particularly if they, things like puff adders, if they get a full dose. Cape cobras, mm. which are much more uh, dangerous, uh, uh, have a neurotoxin and are probably much more much more deadly. But puff adders are probably the common thing that the common snake that kill meerkats. I I thought it was funny that meerkats, a group of them, is called a mob because they just are, feel so not threatening. Like I felt like a group of them should be called like a balloon or like mm -hmm. a balloon of meerkats, a puddle, or just like something cute. Meerkat groups are families. I don't call them mobs. Mm, families. I I don't call normally. Um, zoologists like me use mobs for groups of animals that are that are fluid. So we talk about mobs of kangaroos, for example, because mobs of kangaroos can run up to several hundred, and they're coming and going all the time. We don't call. I'd never call. Uh, it's media people who call meerkats mobs, and I don't know why. Meerkats are rarely families. So what you're looking at with normal groups are typically a a female who has been born in the group. The female breeder has normally been born in the group um, and has lived there all her life. She has inherited the breeding position on from the after the death of her uh, of the previous dominant female, who is usually her mother. And the other females and males that have been born in the group uh, are also uh, her, her her relatives. The resident breeding male is an immigrant because females will not mate with males that they're familiar with. Whoa. So to avoid breeding with close kin, they don't mate with males that are familiar with. So males, when they pass puberty and, and they get to be adult, have to leave their natal group and go and find a receptive female elsewhere. Risky. So, so breeding males are virtually never natal animals they're never animals that have been born in the group oh and what if they don't find someone like what about poor i know they just named them so so idiots like me could follow the narrative but like every time that little arno guy first of all he's obviously my favorite guy he loved i forget what was his wife's name was it marley marley so marley's pregnant and in the love triangle triangle and then arno loved her so much and he was the one who was like watching over her and when shitty Zwelly, the dad, kept sleeping. I was like, how many dudes have I dated that act like Zwelly? Like I was, whatever, not about me. But I was like, oh my God, Arno is the best. Why can't she just see that he's the one? And then Zwelly tried to kill him. Yeah. And yeah. sort of successfully well, so outcasted because, him. This, this, is where, this is where the fact that the unusual groups fills in. Because Zwelly and Arno are probably unrelated to each other, and they're probably unrelated um, to all the other animals in the group. Wow. So they're potential breeders. So Marley will breed with either of them. If if if, if they were, if they were her brothers, she wouldn't breed with them, and they would then have to leave and find a breeding partner elsewhere. And if they don't find one, um, then they either don't get to breed or they eventually die. Mm. So what happens with meerkats is that the males all leave when they're three, when, when normally when they're three or four years old 
and they move and search for partners in other groups. And the female, the dominant female, only tolerates her daughters until they're around four years old too, and then she evicts them all. Bitch, get out! She just chases, she, she attacks them and chases them out of the group. Why does she do that? Traumatizing! What's her problem? When they get to about four, they're getting to adult size and they're potential competitors. Wow. So she doesn't want any competitors around, so she throws her daughters out. And they then either, if they leave in a group, then they have a chance of forming a new breeding group, of finding a male and, uh, and forming a new breeding group. And if they leave alone, they never survive or they virtually never survive. We think Arno probably is dying because they kicked him out. No, I think males males have it a bit easier. I was talking about females there. Yeah. The females are kicked out alone. Um, they don't. So what the what the average meerkat in a group is is sort of is, is doing what the average female meerkat in a group is doing uh, is to sit it out in their in their in their birth group, then prevented from breeding by the dominant female. And they're sitting there, and their best chance of surviving and breeding is if their mother dies. So if you like to think about it like this, they're all sitting there with their fingers crossed, notionally, <laughs> saying, I do hope someone com something comes and eats my mother. <laughs> That's terrible. Why would I like to think yeah, about I'm it like that? I'm for a moment they actually think that. But their best <laughs> chances of, of surviving and breeding is if someone comes and eats their mother. Okay. I, I have a couple questions here. Number one. How could, how could you possibly? <laughs> number one. Have you ever narrated one of these nature documentaries, Tim? Your voice is perfect for it, and I feel like you wouldn't need a script. Well, I've spent my life lecturing to students one way or another, so that's possibly not too surprising. Okay, we got to get you in a VO booth. But no, I've never, I've never narrated. They've always got actors or with, with narrating. Well, people like myself, it's so unfinished. I mean, compared with Jackie, you know, I, I can't do that sort of smooth performance. I disagree. You're killing it and riveting yeah. and so informed and got a great smooth voice. Hate to tell you. You're incredibly you. smooth. You're made of silk, Tim. Secondly, Arno, they say, and they kind of skim over this quickly and I was confused about it. They say that Arno gets lost and he's just missing in action for two days and then finds the group again. So can you explain why that would happen or how that happened? Yeah, Arno's probably at that stage, Arno's not lost. Arno's going looking for partners in neighboring groups. Oh, okay. So Arno's cruising to, to neighboring, and occasionally animals do get lost, but males of Arno's age, um, you know, for, for, for Arno, He's looking for a breeding opportunity, so he's looking looking elsewhere. So they were trying to drive the narrative here. They were trying to make us feel bad for I Arno when so. really, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. He's looking. I mean, it's dangerous going and looking for for, for girls in other groups because if um, if if the resident males, the resident males will chase you out, and if they catch you, they'll kill you. But didn't you see Ethan? Where I think they showed a part like that where Arno did try to get involved with another group and yeah. he got his ass chased off quick. Yeah. And he was like, trying to like peek in slow and stuff. That was after Marley's daughters beat the crap out of him. Yeah. After Zwelly beat the crap out of him, then Marley's daughters yeah. got involved. They, they creep in very carefully. 
and they try to get in the middle of the group where they can basically contact one of the group females. Mm. And say, the females, hey, you want to hang out. Exactly. Because those females in the group who are yeah. not breathing, they've only got their brothers around, you see, their brothers and their father. Right. So, so a, a cruising male like this is a breeding opportunity for the females. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Guy going town to town, yeah. you know, clearly able to survive on his own. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. What was up with that Zwelly trying to be the man move when he took the babies out of the cave and was like, look, everybody, these tiny helpless Yeah, that babies. was wild. In case you haven't seen it, yeah. Uh, 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 Marley is the mom's name. Marley has five kids. Yeah. And then the narrator even tells us, like, this is not normal. These meerkats don't know what they're doing. And he's trying to take them outside, and he shouldn't do that. And Marley had to chase him back inside to protect the pups. Yeah, very strange. I've never seen anything like that with a, with a male. Um, other females, pregnant females, um, kill each other's babies. What? So, uh, Can you repeat that? I'm not sure if the transmission was clear on that. Normally, um, we have no evidence that male In some animals, like lions, males commonly kill... Um, Babies that have been fathered by another male. We've never seen that with with meerkats, but uh, it's commonly the case that the dominant female kills any pups born to the subordinate females in the group, if she can. And here's the interesting point: yeah? they are her daughters are normally her children, so the pups she's killing are normally her grandchildren. Timothy, Timothy. That's wild. So here's my thing. I understand that she wants to be, but to speaking to your, like the Darwinism of it, like, isn't it innate in a meerkat to say, if there's a, if we have a bigger crew, we are less likely yeah. to die. Or is it like those little shits are going to steal our food and food is already scarce. So they have to die. Or is it like weird meerkat innate ego? We're like, I'm the head bitch and your kids cannot live. No, well, it's possibly a bit of both. It is that I'm the dominant female and I, the, my group can only rear so many pups and I want them to be my pups, not your pups. Whoa. Because my pups are related to me by 50% and your pups are going to be not as closely related to me as that. They're quite likely only to be 25%. So the dominant female wants to get the group rearing her pups. That's what she's... That's what she's motivated. That's what the evil, what, what selection has um, primed her to do. And she particularly doesn't want um, daughters producing pups who are going to be older than her own pups when they're born and are consequently superior competitors. So if she's pregnant, she normally kills daughters' pups. If she's not pregnant, she doesn't always do so. And quite interestingly, at this stage, females show unusually high levels of testosterone. They appear to have borrowed the male hormone, which helps them get over the problems of things like infanticide. Wow. I hear that. 
Um, that is wild. They're like, they become more like men so that they don't care about killing babies as much. You monsters. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. I didn't mean it. Made that way. Tim, I think you were right when you said that these meerkats are stupid. Uh, <laughs> Not stupid. I mean, I mean, infanticide well, in this case is seriously advantageous to them. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, oh wait, I forgot my question. I had such a question for you. Um, it's not okay for humans to kill their own grandchildren, Jackie, if that's what you're oh, wondering. Okay. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Um, oh, I remember. So you were saying, so this meerkat gang. Family. I have a couple questions. This might be more of a discovery question, but... Is there a reason that the show was focused on orphan meerkat gangs that were put together as opposed to actual meerkat families? And is that because actual meerkat families would be almost next to impossible to film? Actual meerkat families are not uh, are perfectly possible to film, um, but uh, you have to find ones that have already been tamed by a scientist. So if, you, if you're dealing with what are, what are in practice... Uh, animals have been taken out of the wild, formed as pets, and then handed over to an animal sanctuary before being released. You've basically got very tame meerkats. Right. It's a rather unusual situation where the members of the group are not related to each other. Someone like me works with wild meerkats, so we tame wild or, or we habituate, the other, which is our word for, for taming, um, we, we habituate groups of wild meerkats, but it takes a long time. And Where do you are, do that? Well, we just, we, we initially track the groups. So we find a meerkat. I mean, the, the first thing to realize about meerkats um, is that these groups have ranges of normally between three and 10 square kilometers per group. So you're not talking about a rodent that comes out of a burrow and eats the grass around it, goes back down the burrow. You're talking about a miniature wild dog or something like that that ranges over uh, uh, over five or more square kilometers, and which you, where, where you can't find where it's very very difficult to find them. Sure. So you have to you find your meerkat group. You find the burrows the, that you're that they're sleeping in. You you just go there every morning before they get up, and you sit with them and you do that day after day after day, and then you flip bits of. We've discovered that they love hard-boiled egg. You flip bits of hard-boiled egg to them, trying to get them not to bother about you. Eventually, well, initially, they, what, what happens is they're, they're reasonably, they, they gradually get tame with you at the burrow, but they don't, let you to, they, they don't allow you to walk with them uh, when they leave, uh, and, and you have to build that up generally, build that up slowly. Um, you can track them from the initial burrow, so you can hire a tracker who can actually track meerkats, and then you can follow them from burrow to burrow and do this repeatedly. And as, you, as they get tame, finally, you can get to catch one uh, and put a radio collar on it, and then you can track the group. But it's a slow process, and it can take, uh, it, it can take well over a year to habituate a meerkat group so that you can, wa so that you can walk with it and watch it. So we did this, uh, we, we started in 93, uh, and we now normally work with about a dozen meerkat groups. They're all more or less well habituated. 
Um, we've trained the individuals to climb onto electronic balances so we can weigh them all when they get up in the morning. Oh. They're all individually identifiable. We weigh them again at lunchtime, which shows us how much, how much food they've got. We weigh them in the evening. We weigh them the following morning. Wow. That habituation has been tremendously useful so that we can, for, for example, we can ultrasound them. So you can offer them crumbs of hard-boiled egg with one hand uh, and then put gel on their tummy with the other and then ultrasound them yeah, <laughs> while they're doing this in the field with a portable ultrasound. Wow. I'm putting my computer in the microwave. Goodbye. <laughs> Do that. Ultrasounding a little baby meerkat belly? Yeah, I hope they show that throughout the season. Not a baby meerkat, it's an old mum meerkat. That's true, but I just mean baby meerkat because they're so little. How, how big are they? About nine inches. Nine inches? Yeah, the, the film teams always film them from a low angle, so they appear very large. So they look like about 12 inches. <laughs> um, yeah. No, they There's, look pretty big. I thought they were I bigger agree. than my cats. I, yeah, I agree. I thought they were bigger. No, they're smaller than the cat. Oh, interesting. I, Ethan, I thought they were Glenn-sized. Like, exactly. Wow. Like, 15 pounds, 21 inches. That yeah, you've got a little meerkat at home as well. But, I mean, so I guess it is more like uh, Timon from The Lion King. Like, he's really small. Yeah. Oh, we never talked about the one, like, really sad guy with the real dopey face at the beginning. What was his name? It was like, it was like Timon. Timba. Uh, Timba. Oh, yeah, Timba, he was just, like, the one guy, he just, like, wasn't staying with the group. He wasn't, he was, like, they were all, you know, huddling to sleep or huddling to find, or getting to find food, and he was always by himself. I, I wondered what you thought about that, Tim. Like, is it that they didn't accept him, or is it that, like, he's, like, a weird loner, and he, like, wasn't trying to be part of the thing? I think it's difficult to tell, because all of these who come from different homes so maybe Timber was just brought up on his own, doesn't really know how to fit into a family. Oh. Maybe the others um, fit in. I'm surprised, actually, watching it, um, that they get on with life uh, in a group as well as they do. I would, you know, given that they're all unrelated from different families and so on, I would have suspected that they, 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 there might have been a lot more fighting, a lot less cohesion. But, you know, that was actually quite a lot. The, on the whole... Their behavior looked pretty natural to me. Okay. With certain exceptions, like the, the, the male Zwelly who was trying to remove the pups. And I wasn't sure whether actually he was wanting just to move them or whether he was planning to eat them. <sighs> I, so I guess, yeah, meerkats have no problem eating their own kind. Because that's rare, right, for species? Well, they, they sometimes, when, when, when they kill pups, they sometimes eat them. They sometimes don't, but they sometimes just kill them. Yeah. Wow. My day. Just kill them and not eat them. You know what is interesting is like um, <laughs> nature, it's it's hard. Like um, uh, there was a baby hawk on my street in the middle of the road and it looked like it got effed up pretty bad. It's a whole beak was messed up and apparently it's mom and it's nest and it's brothers and sisters were in this really high tree and the mom hawk was like circling to see so I called, I was like, I have to save this hawk. I don't know. I mean, at the very least, get it out of the middle of the street. 
And I called a hawk sanctuary and they were like, yeah, I mean, move it. So it doesn't get run over by a car and it like stands a chance, but you can't, we won't take it in. Like if, if it's mom and the nest is in the tree above, like it's just wild. Like nature is so every man for himself that like you often call these places and they're like, yeah, a bird falls out of the tree and it dies. It's like, that's what nature is. You don't, you can stop crying and you don't have to bring it here. You're like, whoa. And they're not being harsh, but it's like, it's nature. That bird fell out of a tree and then a coyote will come by and it'll have something to eat. And like, this is what it is. And I'm in the street like, I'm like, cry, I have to Susie. save this hawk. And the lady at the sanctuary was like, yeah, you can put it in like a box with a blanket on top of it. But like, if it's in someone's yard, like, and it's in, and it's hurt, a bigger animal will come and eat it. And if it's mom doesn't come down and bring it back up to the tree, that's it's over. That's that for that hawk. Well, that's right. That's how nature is. That's how we were until recently. Yeah, that's true. A lot of us are still like that. Um, we're a bunch of monitor lizards, which, I mean, speaking of, I do want to ask about them as well, because they said that they have bacteria from their bite that could kill a meerkat. Can you tell me about that? I can't. I don't know about that, but I've never heard that. I've heard that... Uh, with Komodo dragons, they have a, a bite. I've never heard that monitor lizards, but but I know very little about monitor lizards. Um, they're, I've seen them. Um, they're round, but uh, I've never I've never seen them interacting with with meerkats. They look very scary to me. I, I I would guess that that was quite probably an introduced monitor. Int ah. Okay. Meaning, like they put it in the they put it in the thing. They casted him. Yeah, that's that is. I mean, it's unsurprising. Nat natural interactions between monitor lizards, between snakes and uh, and and other animals, and animals like meerkats are not common. Mm -hmm. And film teams are uh, com quite commonly introduce uh, animals. How how rare? Hey Bob, we got that monitor. Hey Bob, we got that monitor in the back of the truck. You want to see if it fucks with well, the meerkats? Yeah, there are people called there are people called wranglers, who you can who film teams can ring up and say, you know, you've got a monitor. Could you could you bring us a monitor? Yeah, wrangle us up a monitor, please. Ethan, what was the name of the other lizard you said in the opening? I was talking about the the Shangalolos, which is the uh, that millipede that smells and tastes disgusting. That the meerkats roll in the sand to make it taste less disgusting she was pregnant so she was like i'll eat i'll even eat a shangalola dude i wouldn't normally but i will now well it's winter too so in winter when food is short they commonly eat millipedes and they clearly they they commonly sort of half spit them out they obviously don't like them uh, and they commonly stick up the um the the shell afterwards why? Uh, as that male was trying to do at some stage do you know why they taste so bad why they smell so bad well, they, they have um, toxins, again, to, to discourage animals from eating them. Um, so that actually when, when, they, when the Shongalolos are hibernating, um, they have relatively little of this chemical defense. Mm. And if the meerkats dig them up, then they eat them straight with a, with a grin on their faces so much. But when they're wandering around, um, the adult uh, millipedes uh, have a considerable amount of uh, of unpleasant toxins in 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 them, wow. uh, and the meerkats clearly don't like them and usually leave them alone. Okay, 
That's fascinating. And you were talking about them being reintroduced. And so I wanted to ask about that. Like, how rare is it that these rewilded animals are are captured or bred? I don't know how it works. And then released into the desert to fend for themselves. Why were they not in the wild in the first place? I mean, maybe they got separated, but... Um, quite often people have the idea that they make attractive pets, which is wrong. They don't make, oh. they don't make good pets. Uh, and they come across meerkat groups with pups. And they take one or more pups uh, and then rear them in their house. And then uh, as they get older, they, commonly, they quite commonly become really quite aggressive. They're highly territorial. Although they're very small, they're absolutely fearless. Uh, and if they're with strangers, they'll attack your ankles and they'll try and climb up your legs uh, and oh. bite uh, anything that they, they can get at. So they're, they're really quite... Good, a, because they shouldn't be in your yeah. house. Um, Have you ever been we one time, we, we one time had reared a, a young meerkat, which someone had brought in, uh, and it became totally territorial. And when I went back to the project... It just attacked me flat out, and you had to climb on a chair and swat it off with a, a rolled-up newspaper to, to stop it really go, going for your legs. Oh, no. So you won. Tim won Meerkat Zero. Well, I don't know. I think the animal won. I had to hop from chair to chair. Zwelly! Well, we had one beautiful case in the, in the past where someone, had, where a wrangler had brought in a, a, an eagle for a film team to film, and he flew it away from the meerkats, but the, the eagle flew onto a tree uh, and came back to his hand, and the whole group took one look at this, seeing a man with an eagle on his hand, and they just went for him, uh, and they tried to climb up his trousers, uh, and he was wearing shorts, uh, and bite anything that, that, that they could find, and he had to run very fast for the car. Little being attacked by a million little nine-inch <laughs> shitty meerkats. Uh, they're quite Mostly quite cats. big. Their size is a, a a meerkat bites a very painful bite. Yeah, it looked like it. They look vicious. Oh yeah, when those little daughters were going for Arno, I was because that's what I was saying about the the hawk. Like it's your instinct as a human because you know again we're dumb, but like to save that and to stop that and don't let that happen and. It's like, let's, that's nature. This is what they're going to do. This is what they've done for millennia. This is what it is. It's nature. And it's just something in me. It's like, I mean, it's, I'm, this is maybe separate, but I think partly because I'm, <laughs> I'm just such an animal lover and I, I'm not an animal eater. And when I just see them going for each other, I know it's nature, but it's so heartbreaking to me. I mean, it's fascinating to see it because the, the groups really work together in dealing with some predators. So I've seen uh, meerkat groups attack a jackal, which wow. is vastly larger, and the group just goes for it. Uh, and down? banded mongooses, which are bigger than, than meerkats, um, will in some cases see off lions. My God. How many does it take? I mean, do they win or do they just go for it because they're fearless and a little dumb? No, they, they go at it because... Uh, I mean, it's very difficult for a predator, very difficult for a jackal to defend itself against 20 meerkats. Damn. I mean, if you think of 20 meerkats really going flat out to, to bite you, it's not, not something anything wants. No. Not much no. of a meal and a lot of teeth. Oof. Oof. 
Yeah, it's that just sounds rough. So long to get killed though by those little teeth. You're just being tortured anyway. Well, on that note, delightful note of being torn apart by twenty meerkats. I really could uh, talk to you both all day. This is like so wonderful. And I hope that we get assigned another episode about Meet the Meerkats because I want to keep watching the show as well. Um, it's really great. I am like super invested in the characters. I'm saying it. You know what was funny though? Like the preview, it was like Zola fighting for her life. Like the pups out in the wild. Like I definitely didn't see a meerkat cliffhanger in my future, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's reality show, but meerkats, um, which I'm totally here for. It's like combo of my two favorite things. Um, but speaking about shows, Jackie, Doremi, you said is coming out in September. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So that's got to be super exciting. Um, I can't wait for that. And where where can people follow you, Jackie? I mean, what do they do? The best way is on Instagram at Jackie Tone, last name T-O-H-N. Dore and Me comes out on Amazon September 17th. And you can watch Glow and Best Leftovers Ever on Netflix. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's really good to see you. I'm sure it'll be years before we chat again. In an um, hour. In an hour from now when we review how we just did. <laughs> and we talk about how Tim put us both to shame and we're dumb and he's brilliant. Cool. That'll be fun. Yeah, we both do impressions of Tim making fun of us. Um, and speaking of Tim, is there something you want to tell people about? Me? I don't think so. I mean, I think um, meerkats are interesting. I think animal societies are interesting. Um, but I think they're pretty tough. I think we are on the whole pretty lucky. I would agree with you. I feel lucky every day, especially when I'm talking to somebody like you, a little less so with Jackie, but it's fine. Um, I appreciate you both taking the time to watch the show, to be on the program, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Tim, you're awesome. Bye-bye, Jackie. Bye. Get exclusive science shows, nature documentaries, and more real-life entertainment on Discovery+. Plus. Go to discoveryplus.com slash goodbadscience to start your seven-day free trial. That's discoveryplus.com slash goodbadscience. The good, the bad, the science, credits, credits, credits. Hosted and produced by Ethan Eatenberg. Executive producer, Brett Kushner. Supervising producer, Emily Feld. Producer, Darby Rose. Editor, Michael Feld. Talent Booker, Samantha Barella. Post coordinator, Jason McKenzie. And research PA, Ali Rubenstein.